Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's From Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Today's episode is not with any one particular player or any particular interview. With the season starting, it means that players in every organization are making their professional baseball debuts, especially the guys heading to full season ball, getting away from the complex. We used to have short season as kind of that that little stopgap, but now it is either you're in the complex or you're headed out for 100 plus games in full season ball. So heading to a new level, it's always got a learning curve attached, and that's only really heightened a bit when you don't have any pro ball experience under your belt. Today, we're going to hear clips from past guests of this show. We've got nearly 50 in the hopper now, I think over 50, actually, uh, discussing that first year in professional baseball. We've got high school guys, college guys, a foreign player, uh, first-round picks, late-round picks, just a wide variety of experiences. Uh, It's also a wide variety of audio quality. I I think we've made progress with the show sounding better over the past year or two, but really just kind of a look in that first year. For a lot of guys, it's their first time away from home, especially those high school guys foreign signees college guys they've got the you know they've had a couple years away from home kind of learning growing as as a person as well but it's still that that uptick in competition for everyone lifestyle life on the bus uh, for a lot of these players and obviously you know everyone started playing before uh, professional organizations started providing housing. So, you know, some, some different situations there for guys. So a uh, really good variety of clips. Thought it would be a good time to, to roll this out right as the season is getting going. Uh, if you enjoy this one, episodes are from Phenom to the Farm. Drop every other Tuesday. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Go check out past interviews. If any of these clips today interest you, the, the full interview is up on the feed. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. It's really, it's honestly the best time of year for baseball. The big leagues and minor league baseball, they're both going. College baseball is getting deep into conference play. We're going to have postseason college baseball here soon. And BA is covering all on the site, the main pod feed, and great stuff on the other pods, feature projection in the 90th percentile. Those are both going. So, you know, go check out. It is always a good time to be a subscriber to Baseball America. First guy we're going to start with is a recent episode of this show. This episode aired in December uh, with one of my favorite players of all time, former Marlins all-star left-hander, Dontrell Willis. And this clip is kind of, I asked him, uh, as you'll, you know, you'll hear in the question, ask him kind of what lessons do you learn in, in the first year of pro ball? And Dontrell kind of takes that all the way with you're, you're learning lessons in every year of pro ball. So here's Dontrell Willis. You get into pro ball, you get drafted by the Cubs. You're out in you're out in the the AZL a little bit your first season, but you're right. you're I guess you're year after getting drafted, you go out to short season, go out to Boise. 
What is mm-hmm. different about that first season in pro ball and short season than than any other season you have in your career? Like, how much do you have to learn? Like, how much catch up is there that's never really a problem in other seasons because you've already done it? it, it it's catch up every season. And that's the cool thing about baseball. You know, it's kind of like golf. You're always learning something. You're always learning nuances, whether it be mechanically, physically, mentally. You know, it's a grind for guys. And the talent level, like, it seems like every time you pass a level in, in, in Sonic the Hedgehog, it gets harder and harder and the talent gets better and better. And you're seeing guys like – I remember being in A-ball and seeing – Carlos Zambrano and Mark Pryor in double A and thinking like, I'm never going to make it to the big leagues. This is what double A baseball is because they're just so talented, but you know, you learn how to just get stronger and lift weights and eat a little better. Like, you know, as much as I love Jack in a box, you know, you have to be, you know, a little more in tune to your nutrition. This generation, I think they understand the strength of that. That's the difference now. But uh, you know, it, it, it was fun just learning nuances, learning how to scout, learning how your, your pitches affect the hitters and stuff because everyone said I threw the hardest 89 you've ever seen in your life. Like it just had life and explosion. So it, it's just cool to learn the nuances of the game and, and, and doing every, whatever it takes to get to the big leagues. Going to follow that up with uh, former top angels prospect, top prospect in baseball, Brandon Wood. Uh, Brandon, his first year in pro ball was a, a pretty solid year in, in Cedar Rapids. And then the next year he turns in an all time minor league season in Rancho Cucamonga. So here he kind of talks about what he picked up or what in that season was, was kind of the hurdle for him in order to then turn in, you know, one of the greatest seasons in minor league history. What's the biggest challenge in your first full season in, in Cedar Rapids? Is it the competition? Is it the weather? Because coming from Phoenix, can't imagine Cedar Rapids was uh, was very friendly weather-wise, at least early in the year. Um, you, you know, you turn in a solid year. What's the biggest you know transition you had to go through? I think games played. You know, just the amount of baseball that is played. You, you don't... Really, I mean, I played as much baseball as a youth being in Arizona where we play year-round. Um, but it was, hey, we're playing today, tomorrow. We're playing on our off day because we got snowed out. And we're going to play a doubleheader on that off day, then 14 days in a row after that. You know, so I, I go in, you know, 175 pounds. And by the end of the year, I'm 150. Um, I go from like a 32-ounce bat. I'm trying to use a 30-ounce bat. Uh, and then, you know, my numbers just trailed off at the you know, second half of that season. Um, it wasn't competition. It was, I think it was just purely uh, the grind of playing every day, but more so the mental grind of not having success, waking up and starting over or having success and then not being too eager to chase pitches and, and put yourself in a slump. So next up is Richie Schaefer, former first round pick out of Clemson. Um, personality wise, one of my favorite guys we've had on the show. I mean, all the guys we've had on the show really appreciate the time, but, uh, Richie was, this comes during the clip, just a generally like good guy, very good retrospective on his career. Um, Richie was a, a world beater, both in high school at Clemson, never really struggled, kind of gets into, um, kind of learning to deal with that for the first time as a professional here in, in really his, his first full season goes out, has another great season and short season, which only inflated his confidence really, which, you know, in, in Richie's words, um, really a, a reality check for him his first year in professional baseball in some way. But yeah, I mean, I thought I was just going to skyrocket through everything. And, um, I didn't really hit my first speed bump until like my first full year. So I, I played short season in Hudson Valley. I kind of, 
everything transferred over beautifully to that, hit really well, went to the fall league. Um, I think I was like the only guy in the fall league that was in short season the year prior. I don't, I don't know if I was, a sh- I was in the fall league before I ever played a full season. I'm not sure how many guys did that. Um, I can't imagine it's very many, but so I was like everything, the pieces seemed to be like, you know, lining up. So I'm just going to skyrocket and I was going to have a hall of fame career. Right. Um, and then I go to the floor state league for my first full season. I kind of skip low a, go to the floor state league. And that was probably the biggest like rude awakening. I think I could have ever had, um, not only in terms of like how to deal with, you know, your first full season as a professional player. I just don't think there's any preparing for that. I think you kind of have to go through your lumps and your bruises about how to prepare and how to handle yourself through a hundred and, you know, 50 game season. But not just that, I was also playing in, you know, offensively, uh, the most difficult league in baseball in terms of, of offensive production. So, um, I wasn't used to barreling balls like in the gap and them like not going out or them not falling or whatever, but I was just crushing balls left center, right center. They're just getting tracked down with ease in the gaps and uh, these, of these like monstrous spring training fields in the middle of Florida in, in July where it's 105 degrees and 90% humidity. And that just didn't, I didn't register in my brain that like these were natural things. I just thought like I wasn't playing well. So that first year of, 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 non-dominance i'll say because i wouldn't even say a struggle it was just non-dominance like really kind of hit me hard the first time in your life yeah basically yes basically um and so that really kind of hit me hard and it took me a little bit to to kind of recuperate from that um i didn't necessarily even play all that well for the majority of the season after that it wasn't until maybe around late July, August in double A the, 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 the next year that I started to really turn it on and, and, you know, kind of get back to myself. But yeah, that first, without any failure sort of in my life at that point, that was definitely a, a very rude awakening. Rolling into that same kind of thing with Josh Saleh, former Rays first round pick who joined us last year as he was, he was making a comeback in indie ball. Josh had been out of baseball for five years, um, poor performance somewhat, but more, uh, personal issues off the field. He seems to have overcome those in spades, seems to be doing very well with himself. I was just thrilled to have him on the show here. How he's doing. Uh, he is currently assigned to Frisco in, uh, in the double a Texas league have not, he, he has not recorded a bat yet this year. I'm not really hundred percent sure when he he's actually going to make a season debut, but, uh, rooting hard for him. But this is kind of the, the same in a familiar theme of, of some of these clips and some of these guys talking of, you know, these are guys, especially high school guys like Josh, who was a first round pick out of, uh, you know, out of the Seattle high school ranks who really just had nothing but success as an amateur and, uh, you know, tough times in pro ball pretty early and, and dealing with that failure can be difficult for some players. So you had to short season Princeton for your first professional season. And it's, I mean, it's a tough stat line. In retrospect, probably not what you were hoping. Had you ever not performed well or failed at anything athletic-wise in your life up to that point? Not to that magnitude. Um, Not to having my expectations so high and then knowing I put myself in what I thought was the best position to to produce and then getting there and realizing, okay, there's still a lot I have to learn. And it's... It's, I remember being in Princeton and remembering how my swing worked for me in high school, 
but when guys start throwing 82, 84 mile an hour sliders and they're throwing 96 potentially, uh, my swing from high school was not going to work. Granted, not everything was going to work, but the, the basic frame of it could have, but my timing was, was definitely off. Um, I, I remember getting there and, and understanding that, okay, we're, we're in pro ball now. I'm going to have to open my ears and, and try and figure this out, which I did for a little bit of time, but then I got hard-headed and thought I could do it on my own, which was not. So another aspect of the transition of pro ball for high school or college guys is the, the difference in intensity in the games. Um, high school, college feels like the most important thing in the world. Pro ball, a lot more about development. Uh, this next clip is with Zach Von Rosenberg, former Pirates prospect turned LSU punter, talking about his experience in that first year dealing with the differences in going from pitching for a state championship to pitching in a professional game where winning is the first priority. Completely different ball game with pro ball um, and how unique it is in terms of the developmental side of things because you go from high school where literally it's five states every game, especially in the playoffs. Like, we're going to win, we're going to find a way to win, we're going to bot, we're going to hit and run, we're going to do this and that, we're going to game plan, we're winning. To not that you weren't not trying to win, but the urgency, urgency to win in the minor leagues was not there. Like, you're in games where guys that should especially prospects should pitch seven, eight innings. They're getting pulled in the fifth. And then they might have dominated for five innings, have 12 strikeouts, no runs, no teams up four and outs, and all of a sudden you pull your best pitcher and your relievers give it up, and now you lose the game because you didn't keep a guy in that was a stud pitching well. And that was just a weird adjustment because your mindset and mentality in minor leagues is completely different than how it is in high school, and that was definitely an adjustment to make. And another adjustment in that same regard is – you were sent out there kind of with a, a half-loaded gun in terms of repertoire. The Pirates, especially at that time, it was focused on your fastball command and throwing certain pitches and, and things like that. It's kind of another another way of not playing completely to win because you're not throwing anything you possibly can to get that guy out. You're working on certain things. How does that... How do you scale back the competitiveness or find the same competitiveness when it's like, I have to, you know sink and cut my fastball all day and I'm, you know, not really allowed to throw my curveball as much as I'd like. Yeah, that was bizarre. And I, I'm, I'm surprised you knew that, but, uh, there was an outing. I remember I went, I threw five innings in the, uh, it would have been an extended spring, uh, in 20, I think it was 2010. I was right before state college, 65 of my 67 pitches were fastball. 65 of 67. And I was one of my, what's crazy is I only gave up one hit. I mean, now don't get me wrong. I gave up some like liners, line outs, the center and right, because the guys are picking up. Like this dude's not throwing any kind of speed pitches, but I didn't pick up on it until like the third or fourth inning. I don't know how. Uh, I guess because I might have mixed in a changeup because the coach. That was the only rule. I forgot what Hugh did that, but the only time I get thrown all speed pitches when the coach called it. And so I think I threw one changeup in the third, and that kind of like threw him off a little bit. But by the fourth inning, you're like, oh, we're just, we're teeing off now. Like he's just throwing straight fastballs. But 65 out of 67 pitches in one of my games in the extended spring was were fastballs. And um, that was a, like I said, it was five innings, one hit, no runs. I don't know how it was one of the best outings of that spring. But it was just bizarre because that's never been my mentality in my entire life. Next up is another guy who did his time as a prospect for the Pirates, but a little different situation than Zach von Rosenberg. Uh, Gifton Gope was the eventually the first South African to ever make it to the big leagues, 
and you know had a lot to learn during his first season in professional baseball with Short Season State College. Uh, something your your first. I guess your first full pro season, you did the GCL. Your second year when you're 20, they send you out to short season. And this is something that I kind of want to harp on since it seems that that short season is kind of going, you know, short season is going by the wayside, will not be a thing aside from the complex leagues anymore. You get 64 games in state college. Um, The stats probably aren't your, you know, your best, your fondest memories there. But what did that 64 games do for you as far as preparing you to eventually the, the next year, I think you get hurt. You play only a few games in West Virginia, but to prepare you for a, a full season in Bradenton in 2012, could you have, do you think you could have gotten through that season in Bradenton without that, those 64 games in state college, essentially your first time away from the complex? Um, I mean, the, the 64 game in state college kind of was like a wake up call with the way I did. Um, obviously the numbers weren't really the best, and it was like, yeah, listen, if you want to play this game and you want to stick around, you got to do uh, a lot better than what you just did, you know. Um, so it, it was a wake-up call for me. And, you know, other people, I feel, may need this short season. And then there's other people that don't need it, you know. Um, for me, I, I, you know, I made adjustments every single year that I played. So I feel like, you know, if I skipped a, uh, the short season league i would have been okay to play the uh, low a season but at the same time it's also a learning curve that you go through you know playing those 64 games what you can and cannot do and it's also the first time you play under lights as well so that's also something that you have to make an adjustment to and your body needs to get used to it next up is jonathan perrin who details his his first season in pro ball is is kind of that classic minor league thing jonathan goes from pitching for a power five program in, in Oklahoma state where they take care of their players pretty decently to, uh, being a very low round, low bonus kind of minor leaguer and, uh, different living situation for our guy, Jonathan, with this first season. You finish out your senior year. You, you know, you're a, you're a starter. You get, you get taken again in the 27th round. This time you really have no choice. You, you sign. And I want to go kind of right into, you know, you were just talking about games where every week you're going against Brandon, you know, guys like Brandon Finnegan. You're trying to pitch for a conference title. You're trying to pitch to to get, you know, to regionals, super regionals. What was the experience of heading of signing after your senior year and then heading to the complex league and heading to low A? What was the how, how do you compare the intensity levels in, in those situations? I mean, the only way I can describe it to you is the thought that just kept running through my head was, oh my gosh, what did I just sign up for? <laughs> <laughs> Were you you wishing there was an option for maybe a fifth a fifth go around at Oklahoma State? Oh my gosh, I was I couldn't believe it was you know you talk about going from a you know power five school with immaculate facilities and a lot of resources to. Um, getting off of a bus, a Greyhound bus at a truck stop in Beloit, Wisconsin, reporting to Loe a month later, <laughs> it was uh, it was definitely crazy to me that it it didn't feel like a step back. It felt like three steps back going from from Division One college baseball to Loe. What was the typical hotel stay like for a Big Twelve series, and then what was the hotel stay like for a Midwest League series? 
Well, in the Big 12, I mean, it was, you know, nothing crazy except for the Big 12 tournament was always at, like, a nicer hotel, like a Marriott or something. But you stay in at, you know, Holiday Inn, you know, Comfort Inn, something like that, usually. A uh, pretty nice spot. You get two guys in a room, but just pretty standard. Nothing crazy, but nice, you know. And then you go to Low A, and I'm reporting again to Beloit, Wisconsin, and I'm staying at the Road Dog Inn. <laughs> <laughs> road you know, dog in yeah so you know and it definitely looked like it may have had bed bugs and a lot of smokers in there at one point so uh it was it was definitely a, a shock to me at the difference in amenities from college to pro ball we're going to take it back to the 90s with our next guest uh josh booty one of the the first guests on this show i think he was episode six uh at the time of his signing set the record for the largest bonus ever given to a high schooler with, uh, with this talk about Josh's first professional season or really here his first professional experience. It kind of dives into something that especially a lot of high school signees deal with, which is um, I don't think it was called this in the nineties, but FOMO um, Josh was signed to play quarterback at LSU and was sitting at instructs while his friends were off at college. Well, in that, in that regard, how much, how much did you know about what what pro ball was all about in that in that lifestyle? You said you you hadn't played much baseball, and then suddenly goes to you're playing every day. How prepared were you for the lifestyle and the grind? Did you did you anticipate what you were going to go through, or was there kind of a, a welcome to pro ball or, or a shock moment there? Because they they sent you out right when you signed. You went out in '94 for your first uh, small taste. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I- it was really the instructional league is what got me, to be honest with you. Like I went out for that small few games and, and it did fine or whatever, or whatever. I, you know, I played probably eight games or something. I don't even remember, but it was the during football season that that fall they sent me to instructional league and uh, you know, it was during football season and everybody's, you know, all my buddies are off playing football and my brothers are playing and my dad's coaching. I love I love being around the game and. I'm in Melbourne, Florida in instructional league. And I'm like going, you gotta be kidding me. You know I mean? It was awful. And hey, you hate to say awful because a lot of kids would die for that opportunity, but man, I was missing football. And so that was kind of my wake up moment was instructional league. I mean, we're eating ham and cheese sandwiches in Vero beach, you know, at Dodger town and in the afternoon playing in front of zero people. And I'm like, God, I could be in tiger stadium. And I compare myself to, to Peyton Manning a lot growing up, too, because me and him were one and two in football. And he was at Tennessee starting as a freshman uh, or trying to get the job as a freshman and playing decent. And so I'm like, man, I could be lighting it up in Baton Rouge at Tiger Stadium. So it was very, very difficult, man. Very difficult that first year. Did you feel good about your game, at least, like how how you were stacking up to everyone after that that small? You played uh, four games in New York Penn League, ten in the Gulf Coast League, and Instructs. Like heading into that off season, did you at least feel like, hey, I am this one point six million dollar guy. My talent stacks up. I'm going to kill it next year. Uh, I mean, I knew if I could if I could get comfortable, you know, I'd be fine. I just I didn't play enough baseball that really to get a real taste, you know, I mean, I played some games. I know I can, I knew I could athletically compete with anybody. It was just, you know, me wanting to be there, my head in the right spot and me not trying to do too much and, you know, get with the right hitting coach in spring training and get kind of get 
you know, get, you get real knowledgeable about how to become a baseball player. And, you know, I would just, I think I've missed football so much that, you know, I, or I watch football so much in the off season that, you know, I probably didn't think about it as much as I should, to be honest with you. I, I just kind of went through it, you know, went through the, the time and, and was geared up for spring training, knowing it was, knowing it was going to be a long year. And man, it, every year in the minor leagues was long. Going from first rounder to first rounder with Billy Butler, uh, longtime Kansas City Royals Billy Butler, uh, drafted in the first round by the Royals, and his first pro experience came really right after high school. He he pre-agreed to a bonus before the draft. Royals popped him with the 14th pick, and he headed right out to short season. Not something that that guys do now. It's either like I said earlier in this episode, complex of the full season. But uh, Billy in this clip talks about something that that can't be garnered from the complex league, or why that short season stint was so important for him, and how fast he got to the big leagues. So the the perk of agreeing to that pre-draft number is you get out to pro ball quick. There's no waiting around until August 15th or the signing deadline or something or, you know, having to head to the complex league. They send you right to short season Idaho Falls where you live now, 74 yeah. games. And like the the competition, it seems that the, the actual competition level, you hit 373. It doesn't seem like that was the toughest adjustment. But what was the benefit to your career – and the adjustment period in pro ball of spending those 74 games in short season Idaho and not in the complex league, especially just taking into consideration that we've likely seen the last of short season baseball as, as it has been. We've seen, we've seen the last of short season Idaho. Well, the, the benefit of it is, is you get out there and you play and, and, and you actually have fans like the, the fans here. They, I mean, they, they, uh, the stadium out here holds five to 6,000 people. I mean, more than that's, that standing room out there and they, and they sell out every night. That's what I was um, struggling with on this because they've been affiliated with the Royals ever since I was drafted because they've had success on guys going through here. And the, and, and the Royals are a team that everything I've heard, were not a fan of this move of, of downsizing this. And there's other very, very much of the small market teams aren't because they have to rely on their farm system more. And so, I mean, they need all the players they can get that to to do that. When you got a team like the Yankees or whatever, they don't really care about this because, you know, they're they're heavy in free agency. I mean, whenever they want, all that kind of spending. So I mean, they need more. The the Royals and other small market teams are all about more development. It's always good. I mean, there's some guys that just need it. The Royals are notable for keeping the the team in Idaho Falls keeping a Northwest League uh, Northwest League team and also an Appy League team. They keep one in Burlington. Yeah. Yeah, so they lost more than just one team, and talked to some guys in the organization. They're like, "Oh man, we need we need as many pitchers as we can get because you know to evaluate a pitcher. I mean, you need X amount of of pitchers to you know to hit on one of them. I mean, so they're taking that away from us is basically what they're is what they're saying on that. And then so if you go back to what I was saying, is you actually play in front of real fans, real adrenaline instead of playing at 10 a.m in the middle of summer because it's so hot and on a, on one of the spring training fields with only, only freaking scouts watching. Cause I mean, you tell me what's, I mean, I feel like that's not really doing anything for you now. Granted it's baseball and, and I like, and, and, and you're still getting better by playing every day, but 
you don't learn how to play in front of fans unless you play in front of them. Your first full year in pro ball, they jump you right to high A. You end that year in double A. That kind of puts you on the fast track. Do you think you could have done that as smoothly, adjusted to high, adjusted the Cal League without an actual short season club, without that kind of everything that goes into to playing for an actual ball club instead of just playing in the complex? Uh, I definitely don't think so. I, I definitely think that my time here in Idaho Falls gave me the confidence to, to – that 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 lasted all the way up through my career. Now I, I'm not saying I'm of the, um, you know, that I wouldn't have made it without it here or without. I mean, I just think it was a smooth transition. That the reason why the Royals have stayed here is because they've had success grooming players to come through here, and I don't think it's by coincidence. Um, I, I probably, I mean, uh, you know, like <laughs> I needed to. To stay at certain levels and stay in Idaho Falls and everything like that. I mean, I got told I could hit the big leagues right when I got drafted. It was just defensively that I needed a lot of work. I, was, I wasn't a complete player, nor was I ever really because I couldn't run or, or do anything. But I ended up playing a lot of games at first base that they told me I'd never end up. I never played defensively. I had multiple people tell me that I would never play defensively in the big leagues. So I, I actually proved some people wrong, even though like I was a high pick, I was supposed to be in the big leagues. I was, you know, I did exactly what I was supposed to, but defensively, I actually proved people wrong by hard work. I have a lot of people, you know, Mike Jersley, who's on, who's on the Royal staff too, still. And he, um, yeah, he put a lot of time with me defensively to, to be mediocre. Penultimate clip of this episode is going to be with former Rays prospect and Dodgers prospect, uh, Jeff Malm, who's drafted as a first baseman out of Bishop Foreman High School in Vegas. Recent episode of this show, really good one. Go check it out. Uh, he, with with him, his first season that, that he dives into in this clip is his first stint of pro ball in short season. He dives into one of the things that's especially relevant for high school signees. Um, really, you know, first time out on your own, dealing with, with that sort of isolation, um, you know, being that far from your family, especially in a town, you know, like Princeton, West Virginia. Before you got, you, you get a, you know, a small little pro debut signing year. Next year you go out to short season Princeton in the, the Appy league, RIP to the Appy league. Um, had you ever struggled at just at baseball in general before, before that year? No, I mean, as a, maybe as like an 11 year old kid, just like anyone else, you know, you have a couple bad tournaments mm -hmm. and, stuff spirals because you don't really know what you're doing. Um, but anything like serious baseball, I mean, I really have never struggled in high school. Like, I just want to put context for the listeners. As a senior, you hit 564 with 17 bombs. I had a question I passed over earlier just asking, was baseball easy in high school? Because like that's bonkers. And then you go to Princeton, and it's not quite the same. Yeah. No, I mean, a lot of it, like I said, I hate to sound corny, but a lot of it in high school was – the system I was in and the people around me, the players around me. Um, it's easy to hit when there's guys always on base. Um, it's easy to have confidence when you're surrounded by confident players, really good players. Um, so that all just kind of helped build me up as a, as a prep. And then I got to pro ball and it wasn't that like, it was, that was the hardest year of my life by far. Um, the furthest I was away from home, definitely the most isolated I felt. Um, Princeton's not an easy place to get to from Las Vegas. And, and my family made a trip out there, but just, you know, we were living in a hotel all year, even at home. Um, wasn't 
really what I expected pro ball to be like at the time, you know, like I had all these great dreams and aspirations and, and uh, here I was in West Virginia, just like really, really, really struggling. Um, even to the point where like, you know, going back to the hotel, I'm like, dude, what am I doing here? Like you're standing in the mirror, like doing, doing stride loads, trying to figure out what's going on. And it's like, dude, the, the game ended six hours ago. It's 2 AM. Like go to bed. Like, what are you doing? If you hung on for all the clips in this episode, good for you, because I saved really my favorite for last. Don't want to say the best for last. All these guys have have really interesting, unique stories. But this one is actually from the first episode of this show with former Braves left-hander Eric O'Flaherty. This clip kind of covers his first two years of pro ball, the things he needed to work on, but really just one of the best stories I've had on this show and about how his career was changed in a ball in his second trip through a ball in really in over 24 hours, really incredible story. Here's Eric O'Flaherty. Rookie ball is a disaster. Rookie ball is just a bunch of, like you said, it's just a bunch of other 18 year olds getting into rookie ball that are just like you, um, making all the same mistakes. And it's just kind of a, it's just a mess. Um, but once I got to a ball, you kind of weed some of that out. You're with some college kids. Um, and you, the expectations of you are going to be a lot higher, uh, not just on the field, but off the field too. how you handle yourself and everything. And, you know, my first year in a ball, I messed a lot of stuff up. A lot of guys on the team didn't like me. Um, I was, I just wasn't accountable and I wasn't very mature and it, it showed a lot of different ways. Um, my second year in a ball, I finally had this pitching coach get through to me. Um, and I'd come out of this game, I'd pitched bad. And I just stormed off and I went straight in the dugout and left, you know, the inning was still going on. I'd put my team in a hole and I was just making it all about myself again. And this coach, Brad Holman, he comes in, he goes, get your ass back on the dugout bench right now. And I, you know, I'm throwing my fit. I'm pissed off cause I pitched bad. It's all about me. And I said, no. And he goes, now and he just towered over me he was probably six five i mean big guy and he goes if you don't get out there we're fighting and so i thought about fighting him and then i just thought you know i've been pitching bad enough if i fight a coach i'm probably getting released you know Um, yeah you're going home i was working on my second year in a ball with a six and a half era um and so he did that and he took me out there and he sat right next to me on the bench to make sure I didn't go anywhere. And he talked to me about the game the whole time and, and why it was important for me to sit on the bench and, and what I'm doing wrong, how I'm being perceived and all this stuff. And I didn't want to hear any of it. And it was making me really mad. But at the same time, you know, the next morning I woke up, I didn't want to be that guy he told me I was. So when I got to the park that day, he goes, let's go out to the bullpen and work on some things. And he showed me everything I was doing wrong with my delivery because he tried to approach me before, but he hadn't been, you know, forceful enough, I guess. And he just showed me all these things I was doing wrong with my delivery. He told me what I was doing wrong mentally. He, He just he really just I matured a ton in about a 24 hour period because this guy was just willing uh, to basically fight me if I didn't listen. Uh, and that was maybe the only way to get through to me. And I wound up finishing that year. By the end of the season, I was the closer. I had like 16 saves. And the second half of that season, I um, I put up like a two ERA. And the next year, I was in the big leagues. So just that moment with him, I mean, it, it kind of it turned my whole career around. Just one of my favorite stories that I've had on this show. 
I uh, hope everyone enjoyed the episode. These clips will be back in two weeks with a, a normal episode interview with a, a former professional baseball player. Uh, we'll, we'll reveal that when it gets a little closer. Not entirely sure who it's going to be. Got a couple episodes up in the air. But if you enjoyed this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, rate and leave a review. Make sure you subscribe to BA for all amateur baseball and prospect news. We'll catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.